The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Get your nerd out, all right? Uh, I, I know, I, I didn't read a lot of comic books growing up. I, I don't know how I missed that whole boat, but I really didn't. But I'm making up for it as an adult. And one of my favorite uh, 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 comic book characters, of course, is probably a lot of people, Superman. Anybody here Superman fan? Anybody here Superman fan? That's what I'm talking about, right? I like Superman. And, and here's the deal. As, as, no matter um, if you read the earliest Superman, if you read some of the latest Superman, uh, as you read it, uh, he still has one simple disguise. And that disguise is Clark Kent, and that's exactly what he looks like, right? He just puts a, like, a hat on, and he puts glasses on, he combs his hair a little bit differently, and boom, I'm not Superman anymore, right? And haven't you found that a little bit ridiculous? Like, isn't that a little bit hard to believe, right? Because who would really, like, just, like, could you imagine if I'm standing up here, and then all of a sudden I'm like this, and you're like, where did he go, right? Like, for me, I think that, where did you go? I can't really see you. Oh, you're right there. But anyway... That's kind of ridiculous, and so I was reading an article by one of the one of the artists who had who had uh, drawn and, and had painted Superman uh, panels for comic books for years and years and years, and they asked him, you know, how how is it even believable in that universe that, that Superman could hide in plain sight like this? Because he certainly doesn't change his appearance too much. And here's what he said. He said, uh, depending on the, the panel, if it was Clark Kent or Superman, everything changed. If it was Clark Kent, not, not only was Clark Kent this bumbling, fumbling, like, like coward, uh, but also they said within the different panels, um, their, their lighting choices changed. The, the way that the angles that they drew things changed. The paint changed that they chose, right? He said that everything they, they chose for Clark Kent panels, he described it as gentle. That was the word he used, as gentle. And and everything for the Superman panels he described as bold, right? So, so what's he painting there? What's the picture he's painting there? He's saying that like the gentleness of Clark Kent was, was seen as such weakness that there's no way that he could be this powerful, incredible hero like Superman. In fact, Lex Luthor knew, that's the bad guy there, knew who Superman was, but he, he could not believe it. He couldn't bring himself to believe it because, uh, uh, because how, could, how could someone with such power willingly subject themselves to such a small uh, um, little life that Clark Kent held. And so again, the word that they described to, to, uh, for Clark Kent was gentle, right? They kept saying everything about him was so gentle, no one would believe it. He could literally change in the costume in front of them and they wouldn't believe it because he was so gentle. And so by their own word choices, what they described was they described gentleness as being weakness. And in our culture, that, that can be true too, that, that gentleness isn't necessarily a virtue you, but sometimes we see it as a vice. We see it as something negative, right? We see it as, as weakness. We don't see it as strength. And, and I mean, think about it. Like if uh, the NFL draft just happened um, and they passed me up another year, but that's all right, maybe next year. And, and, and when my team was drafting, that's the Tennessee Titans, uh, when the Tennessee Titans were drafting, you know, if they were looking at a linebacker or something like that, and, and they put up all the stats, right? They put up the stats like, uh, you know, he's seven foot three, right? He's 400 pounds, whatever it is. And they put up the stats. You know a stat I don't want up there? How gentle he is, right? Like, I don't want that up there, you know? Like, I don't want, he's a, he's a pass rusher, um, and uh, he's huge, and he went to Oklahoma, and he's super gentle, right? Like, I don't want that. Forget that guy. Why? Gentleness, it's, it's kind of a weakness, and, and it's a weakness in our, our culture a lot. And, and I think about, like, think about when you were in school. Who were the teachers you took most advantage of? 
the gentle ones, right? Right? Because even when they got upset with you, like, it's no big deal. Because gentleness is, is weakness. Or, or like, well, I, I used to have a boss who was seen as too gentle with us. I remember them using that language with us, too gentle. So they brought in somebody who was the complete polar opposite. Why? Because according to our world, gentleness is weakness. It's not, there's no strength there. And so, um, why am I talking about this? Like, why are we talking about gentleness today? Here's why. Last week, we talked about judgment, and and hopefully you were here, and hopefully you stayed awake the entire time, but uh, I gave you six observations about judgment and how to judge well, according to the scriptures, and the last observation I gave you was uh, was gentleness. Judgment is a good judgment. To judge well is to judge gently, and we talked about that, and, and I got a lot of feedback this week from you guys about that sermon, and I don't mean like the normal feedback, like why is it so long and uh, why are you not funny? All of those things. But I got a different type of feedback of people talking about how it was going to affect their lives. And one of the things that came up over and over and over again was gentleness. That was the word that kept coming up. People kept saying, I need to be more gentle, right? I need to think more gently, right? I need to, I, I need to affect, uh, uh, my relationships need to be defined by gentleness, right? And, and that's true for me too. If I took away something from last week's message, and I, I drift in, out, in and out too, so don't feel bad. But if I took one thing away from last week's message, it was gentleness. I need to be gentle. Am I being gentle in the way that I'm thinking about this person? Am I being gentle in the way that I'm going to approach this person? Gentleness, gentleness, gentleness. Now, why did gentleness stand out to me so much? Is it that important? Well, the simple answer is yes. It stood out because it is an incredibly important virtue. Um, And so here's my goal for us today as we look at gentleness. My goal for us today is to gain a biblical understanding of gentleness and with that understanding to come to treasure and practice gentleness always, all right? So that's my goal for us today, to gain a biblical understanding of gentleness, and with that understanding, come to treasure and practice gentleness always, right? And, that, and I think that's important. I think that's a, a worthy goal, isn't it, right? Like if I were to ask you right now, if I were to come to your seat right now, in fact, I'm going to do it. No, I'm just kidding. If I were to come to your seat right now and say, give me a biblical understanding of gentleness, give me a biblical definition of gentleness, tell me why it's important, tell me how do we practice it, could you do it? I, I don't know if I really could have before this week. And so I think this is a worthy goal. I think it's a helpful goal. So I want to start. You've got your little handouts there, right? Uh, they're more for just doodling. You can follow along. But on on the, uh, I want to start at the top. Four biblical truths about gentleness. Four biblical truths about gentleness. We're going to jump all over the, the scriptures today. So there are Bibles under your chairs. You can use those and absolutely have those if you need a Bible. Um, but uh, I'm going to put a lot of the scriptures, most all of them, up on the, the screen for you today because we're going to jump all over the place. So number one, gentleness is a characteristic of God. Gentleness is a characteristic of of God. It's how he deals with his people. It's how he's dealt with his people in all of redemptive history. He's dealt gently. Um, he was gentle when, with Israel when they were wayward, right? When they strayed away from the, the wisdom of God and they did their own thing, he was incredibly gentle with them. In Isaiah chapter 30, God's people are afraid of the Assyrians and, and what's going on is uh, they're, they're being attacked. And so they say, you know what? We need help. And instead of turning to God and saying, hey, God, please don't let us die here, instead of doing that, they go to Egypt, and they want to get the people in Egypt to help them. Well, God had told them, don't do that. Like, trust me, don't go to the heathens over here. I'll take care of you. 
So they're being wayward, right? They're, they're rejecting God's wisdom. And here's his response, Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. O people in Zion, inhabit in Jerusalem. You will weep no longer. You will surely be gracious. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. So in their waywardness, although there were consequences that came with their actions, ultimately, what does the scripture say? The Lord is waiting to be gracious and kind to you, right? When you call out to me, I will be there. Isn't that incredibly gentle of the Lord? Not only when Israel was wayward was he kind and gentle with them, but when Israel was weak, look at Isaiah 40, 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So we see that he was gentle even in their weakness. Isn't that an incredible picture of God? That he will gather them close and hold them in his bosom, right? Have you ever seen that picture? you ever seen a picture of a shepherd holding a lamb, right? Have anybody in here ever held a lamb? I, I have before, and, uh, and, and, and you just, there's something about like holding this living, breathing uh, pillow is what I thought it was, right? That, that you just want to be gentle, and you want to be kind, and, and, and you hold it close, and you protect it. And that's God's picture for Israel. He says, you're weak. And you're weak for your own foolishness. You're weak because you rejected my wisdom, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna leave you out there in your weakness. I'm gonna gather you up and I'm gonna hold you close like a little lamb. It's a pretty incredible picture of God's gentleness. And here's the deal. He's always been gentle with his people. And guess what? He still is gentle with his people. Check this out. He's gentle when we're weak. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What the scriptures say is Jesus is our high priest now. He knows our weaknesses. He said, we don't have a high priest who goes, you know what, that looks really tough, but you should just get it together. Instead, it says, we have a high priest who knows he's been there, right? So he's so gentle with our weaknesses because he knows our weaknesses. He's not only gentle when we're weak, but he's gentle when we're wayward, when we've rejected God's wisdom. Hebrews 5 2 says he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward you could just put my name there since he himself is beset with weakness his intimate knowledge of our weakness allows him to be gentle and and to be understanding when dealing with our weaknesses right isn't that incredible so instead of him looking at us and going I keep trying to give you my wisdom. My wisdom is good. It's going to protect you. It's for your joy. And you keep going over here and and banging your head against the wall. What an idiot. No, it says that he's kind and he's gentle because he knows our weaknesses. And he goes, yeah, I know. I know how you ended up over there. And he's gentle to lead us back to where we need to be. It's incredible. And I, I, uh, I recently got a Bible. I, I highly recommend this Bible. It's called the Reader's Bible, uh, ESV Reader's Bible. It came out, I think, last month or something. I just recently got it. And, and the, the thing that makes this a unique Bible is that uh, it's removed all of the verse numbers. And it's removed all the chapter breaks. And there's no headings. And there's no references. It just flows. It's just like, a, like you're, if you're reading Paul's letter, that's what you're reading. You're just reading a letter. There's no breaks in it whatsoever. And, and as I started to read it, um, I realized how much I 
I really did stop. Like how much I would see a heading and be like, well, that's a different section. Let's just stay right here, right? Or, or I would look at the verse numbers and go, well, I just read a lot. That's probably enough, right? And, and so I realized I just started reading a lot. And, and one of the things as I, I read through the gospels, one of the things that, I was, that always stopped me though, something that still stopped me was not a chapter break or a heading or anything like that. The thing that always stopped me was when uh, I came in contact with Jesus's gentleness. Every time I saw how gentle and kind and merciful he was, I stopped, right? It just, it grabbed me. And I, I want to just show, give you a couple of examples of things that just stopped me right in my tracks because he's, he's the living embodiment. Uh, he's, the, he's the visible um, God for showing us the invisible God, right? He's the living embodiment of gentleness. And one of the instances, there was, a, maybe you know the story, there's a woman caught in adultery and the teachers of the law are trying to, uh, they're trying to catch Jesus, really. And they say, hey, look, we caught her in the act of adultery. The law says to stone her. What do you want to do, right? And so Jesus responds very kindly. And what does he say, right? He says, if you're, if you're without sin, you throw the first stone. Whoever's perfect, you throw the first stone, right? And everybody drops their stone and, and, and they walk away. And then Jesus picks it up, says, I'm perfect. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what happens. But what does he do? He's kind to her and he forgives her and he doesn't sit there. They don't like drop her in front of him and, and say, she's been caught in adultery. And he's like, what? You sinner, you ne- you're disgusting. Get out of my face. No, he doesn't yell. He forgives her. And, and here's what he says to her. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. He restored her spiritually with his gentleness, right? By forgiving her. He restored her emotionally by, by, with his gentleness, right? Think about that. They just caught her in the act of adultery and drug her out there. How do you think she's feeling? Probably really vulnerable, right? But Jesus doesn't lecture her and say, sit there and let me tell you why what you did was wrong, right? Now, what does he do? He says, look, I don't condemn you. Just go and sin no more. With his gentleness, he's restored her. There was another situation where Jesus is on his way to do something really, really, really important, right? There's this little girl, and, 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 and if he doesn't get there, she's going to die. He's got to get there and, and heal her. And all of a sudden, uh, a lady grabs his robe um, to be healed. She had been menstruating for 12 years and grabbed his robe to be healed. And Jesus stopped. Now, here's the deal. According to the Old Testament law in Leviticus, in chapter 15, if a menstruating woman touched you, you were considered to be ceremonially unclean. And so you couldn't go back to, you couldn't just simply go to the temple to worship, right? You had to go through a a cleaning ritual yourself, right? It was a big deal for her to do what she did. And what did Jesus turn around and do? Gross! Get, ah, Get away from me, right? No, what does he do? He turns around, and here's what he says. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Think about that. For 12 years, she's unclean. So what does that mean? That means for 12 years, people have kept their distance from her. I don't want to touch her. I don't want to get close to her, right? She's unclean. I don't even want to be around her. Maybe, maybe just being in the same room with her is going to rub off on me. I don't, no, no, no. She's unclean. And so not only does he forgive her, not only does he heal her, what does he say? He calls her daughter. He's gentle with her. And he restores her dignity. She's a person again, right? She's not an outcast. She's now a daughter. Isn't that incredible? The kindness and the gentleness of God. And so gentleness is a characteristic of God. So number two has to be true then as well. Gentleness is a characteristic of God's people. Gentleness is a characteristic of God's people. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. The fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. A mark of the Holy Spirit doing his work in your life is gentleness, right? If you're following God, he's changing your life as you follow him, then you will become more gentle. So this means that gentleness is not an accessory that a Christian can clip on his life or her life whenever they want to. Gentleness is absolutely evidence, required evidence, that we are his. Philippians 4, 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. And again, why? Because that's how our dad is. If we're close to our dad, we're going to act like our dad, right? If you're following God who is gentle, then you will be gentle. And you see that in in earthly fathers as well. Growing up, my dad had a lot of quirks. He still does. Uh, But it's cool. I know he's right there, but he's really old. He can't hear me, so I can talk about him. But anyway, my dad has a lot of quirks. And one of them growing up was that uh, uh, he was a stickler for grammar and diction. Um, and if you've ever heard my dad's, my dad's radio voice, like maybe you'll know why, right? But he was a huge stickler for that. And it was ridiculously obnoxious living with him, right? But here's the deal. Like now, it, I'm the same way, right? And so my wife will attest, it is incredibly obnoxious living with me. Just the other day, I remember we were in the, uh, for multiple reasons, but just the other day we were in the kitchen and, uh, and she was getting dinner ready and she said, can you pass me the bread knife? And I said, yes. And I didn't do anything. And she said, well, I said, you asked me if I could pass you the bread knife. You didn't ask me if I would pass you the bread knife. And she said, well, follow-up question, can you get stabbed by a bread knife? <laughs> Here's the bread knife, all right? So, uh, again, again, like, I'm like my dad. I've been around my dad for a long time. And so good, bad, or indifferent, the things, a lot of about him, a, a lot of who he is, a lot of his characteristics, they're in me too. Why? Because I'm around him. And so I'm, I'm like him. And in the same way, are you around our dad? Because our dad is gentle. And so if you're going to follow our dad, then we have to be gentle too. It's not an accessory. It's not an option. That's who we are. That's who we are to become, is gentle like our dad. So I, I hope it makes us think differently about gentleness. And, and so now we can see, number three, that gentleness is a virtue. It's a virtue in every sense of the word. The highest moral standard, you can't get much higher than God himself, right? There is no righteousness outside of him. So a virtue of the highest standard is gentleness because it's literally a reflection of who God is. So therefore, it's incredibly valuable. And if it is incredibly valuable, then we should pursue it with everything we've got. Check out the scripture in 1 Timothy 6, 11. It says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. It should be a characteristic that we regularly practice because we treasure it. I treasure it as a virtue, and so it's, it's valuable to me. So I regularly want it in my life. And so when you feel harshness start bubbling up at work, we should reject it and respond gently because I treasure honoring God. And so I'm going to treasure responding like he wants me to respond, gently, not harshly. When we have an opportunity to correct someone, we should think about it, uh, we should think about it, uh, the gentleness that we speak our words with as much thought as we give uh, the words that we speak, right? We should think about how gentle we are just as much as we think about the words that we're going to use. Why? Because I treasure honoring God. This is a virtue, right? 
And because it's a virtue, look at number four. Because it's a virtue, it should be very clear that gentleness isn't weakness. Gentleness isn't weakness. Matthew 5, 5 says, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Meekness is not, it's not weak and, and cowardly or whatever. Meekness is strength under control. It's, it's what? Gentleness, right? You, gentleness is what? That means that you have the strength. You could harm. We all could. You could be harsh, but gentleness is choosing not to. It's strength under control. And, and so gentleness isn't defined by a lack of force or directness with that person, but gentleness is defined by the care for that person. Does that make sense? Gentleness isn't defined by the fact that there is no force, there is no directness. No, no, no. It's defined by the, the care of the person that's there. Let me give you an example. Like, like uh, uh, an egg versus an apple. If, if you were to sit out there and you were to say, hey, Grant, I really, uh, I got an apple sitting up here for some weird reason. And you're like, hey, I want that apple. And I, I tossed it to you, right? Just tossed it to you. Would you say that I'm being rough with that apple? No, it's gentle. Like the apple can take it, right? If you catch that apple, like no big deal, the apple can take it. Now, what if I had an egg up here, right? And you're like, I want that egg. Number one, don't ever ask me to throw you an egg because I will do it. But uh, if you were to ask for that egg and I were to do the same thing, I would just to toss you the egg, would you say that I was being gentle with the egg? No, because the egg's fragile and it can't take it, right? It can't take being thrown around like an apple can be thrown around. So you can be direct, you can confront, you can be firm, you can even be stern with people and still be gentle. It's all about the care and the consideration for the other person. For example, let me give you an example of Jesus being gentle and yet direct with other people. Um, when Jesus went, uh, when he met the adulterous woman, the, the woman they dragged before him, right? He was very gentle and, and she was the egg, right? She was fragile. And what she, she didn't need him to sit there and scold her. She didn't need him to sit there and remind her what she did was wrong, right? He did, she didn't need him to say, okay, your sins are forgiven, but what she did was wrong, right? No, 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 she didn't need that. She needed exactly how he treated her. That was gentle and kind. However, let's go to another situation that's completely different. Peter has denied Jesus three times. Jesus is resurrected from the dead, appears back with him, and as he's talking with Peter, he asks him three more times, do you love me? And Peter answers every time, you know that I love you. But the third time, it says that Peter was grieved that Jesus would ask him, right? That doesn't seem very gentle. Doesn't it seem like Jesus is just kind of kind of beating it into his head, like, do you love me, Right? And Peter says, you know I do. And he says, feed my sheep. And over and over again, it it doesn't seem like Jesus is being gentle, but the scriptures say that he is gentle, so he must be gentle. So so how is that gentle? Well, let me ask you this. Did it work? Did Peter break? Was he crushed by the words of Jesus? No, it worked. Peter did just that. He went out and he fed God's sheep. He led his church, right? Right? So it was exactly what he needed. He needed the firmness, and he needed, uh, uh, he needed Jesus to, to be stern as he was, and it was still gentle. Why? Because he didn't break. It was exactly what he needed. So gentleness, again, it isn't about the lack of, of, uh, of being direct. It isn't about the lack of strength or anything like that. Gentleness is all about the consideration uh, and the concern and the care that you have for the, the person uh, that you're being gentle towards. Does that make sense? So gentleness isn't weakness. I want to finish up our time together by looking at 
at four specific times when we're to be gentle, right? And, and I don't, maybe I worded that wrong. Maybe I should say four uh, specific commands uh, for us to be gentle. Um, but, but here, four, four different instances. And, and, and as we do these instances, um, I wanna highlight the difficulties that, that we face trying to be gentle. Like, why aren't we gentle? And then I wanna give you a strategy in handling those difficulties. So I know that maybe you don't have enough space to write that down in between the points there, but you got the back is blank, so follow along, all right? So number one, we should be gentle when we're correcting the wayward. Correcting the wayward. We read the scripture last week, Galatians 6, 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin at all, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, right? So we're called to help one another. We're called to help one another when we're in trouble, right? We're, we're stuck in a sin. We're doing something that's completely against the wisdom of God. We are called to help one another in a spirit of gentleness. What's the difficulty that we face in uh, uh, trying to be gentle with people who are wayward? Well, number one, we get frustrated. Why? Because they know better, right? We're talking about dealing with Christians. When we say the wayward, we're talking about, we're talking about other believers, right? And so, like, they know better, and it gets on your nerves, doesn't it? Everybody's got somebody in their mind right now, like some friend in their mind. You, you immediately comes to, comes to your mind when I talk about somebody who, who they know better and they keep falling in the same hole. You know what I mean? They know better, but they keep making that bad decision. They know better, but they're, they're completely rejecting the wisdom of God and they're just throwing their hands up going, well, what are you gonna do, right? You know what I mean? Like, and it's frustrating when you deal with people like that, isn't it? And, and, and you just look at them and you, so you know that doesn't make sense. You know that that doesn't honor God. You know that, but you're still doing it. That's super frustrating. Another reason why it, it's difficult to be gentle when we're dealing with the wayward is everyone's different. Some people deal with correction well, others don't. And so it's difficult, right? Like, how do I, how do I correct them? How do I deal with that? Like, this is, you, you got to wade through all the, the, the different nuances that, that, uh, uh, of different people and personalities. I mean, think about it. I've learned, uh, I've learned about with correction with kids. Like, there's different ways that you correct kids. Why? Because all kids are different. Like, some people spank. Some people do timeout. Some people do a system of rewards and things like that. I don't. When my kids act up, uh, I take them on a car ride. It gets them out of the situation, gives them time to think. I got a picture of it, I think. <clears throat> right? It just gives them time to think. And they get away from the situation, and they, and they can really wrap their head around and think about what they've done, and they can reflect, right? But, like, different kids need different things, right? I mean, this is a joke, all right? Like, that's not my kid. That's the neighbor's kid. So, anyway... My point is, everyone's different, so your approach has to be different. And that's frustrating, and I don't want to be gentle. I just want to tell them the truth. And so what's our strategy to handle these, these difficulties? Well, one, here's your first strategy to battle your frustrations. Remember, there but for the grace of God go I. Remember that. There but for the grace of God go I. I absolutely, I absolutely and am capable to, to do the most vile and depraved and disgusting and horrendous and horrible things. I absolutely have that capability, and you do too, because our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know them? That's what the scriptures say. And if it's not for the grace of God, where would we be? Where would you be? I, I shudder to think where I would be if not for the grace of God. Remind yourself of that. You're no better than the person that you're dealing with. That's why we have each other. We're there to help, right? We're there. God's given us grace. Why? To help them. 
That's why we're there. The second thing to battle that difficulty about everyone being different is remember that the goal isn't just to say the truth, but it's to restore them. We talked about that last week a little bit, but the goal isn't just to say the truth, but to restore them. You can't just say, I don't care if it hurts their feelings. I don't care how they take it. It's the truth, right? But Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. And part of bearing their burden is doing what you have to, jumping through the hoops you have to jump through, saying it in the way you have to say it so that it is most helpful. That's part of the burden. That's, that's part of our burden is you know that, that it's difficult for me to hear this. You know it's difficult for me to take that. So you've got to figure out, that's, the, that's, part, that's on your part to bear that burden. You've got to figure out how can I confront him? How can I say this truth so that it's most helpful, so that he'll hear it? Even if it means saying a thousand words so that they will hear the 10 words that they need to hear. This is my wife's strategy, right? She's wonderful at it. She's a, she's a Jedi master when it comes to saying these things, right? Like, I know she'll come up to me, and I know she's doing it, but it doesn't matter. It works every time. You're a great father. I know. You're a great husband. I know. I really am. You are, uh, you're a great pastor. I mean, who else is there, right? And she's saying all these things, and then she'll get to it like, hey, could you possibly mow our lawn this weekend? We haven't seen our dog in three days. I'm pretty sure they're in the backyard, right? Like, but she does that, right? Why? Because she's trying to be helpful. She wants her words to be helpful. And so she's trying to figure out, that's the burden she has to bear. How can I say this so that it's most helpful? It's not just about the truth. It's about being helpful as well. The second situation where we need to be gentle. Number two, reasoning with unbelievers. Reasoning with unbelievers. Look at 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So we're called to, to give an answer for the hope that we have, but we're supposed to do it with gentleness. Why is that difficult? That doesn't seem too difficult. Why is that difficult? Here's why. And, and if, you, if you work with non-believers and you talk about your faith, you probably, you already know the frustration. You know what I'm about to say. Here's why. It's hard not to get riled up. It's hard not to get upset. It's hard not to get just, just passionate and, and emboldened and emblazoned. Why? Because it's true. Because what I'm saying is true. Because what I say matters, right? Because what we're talking about with Jesus has huge consequences, right? If you're going to reject and there are huge consequences and there are huge joys you're going to miss out on, it matters. It's important. But, but what's our strategy here? How do, how, do we deal, how do we not get riled up? How do we not get upset? How, how can we stay gentle? Here's how. Relax and remember that if it's true, it will be true whether it's believed in or defended well. It will be true. It's not your job to protect the truth. It's not your job to defend the truth. The truth is truth. Jesus is true yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Whether you or I believe it, whether anyone else believes it, whether you or I defend it well, it's true. Relax. Relax. Luke 19.40 says this. If people stopped worshiping, the rocks would worship. Why? Because God, it's true that God deserves our worship. It's true that God deserves uh, uh, to be lifted up. So if we won't do it, don't worry, creation will. Why? Because it's true. It's true. Even speakers cry out sometimes, right? It's true. And it's a huge struggle for me in the past, I would say the past decade of my life. I turned 30 this month. Please don't forget to buy me expensive things. I turned 30 this month. And so I've been thinking a lot about my 20s and, and all that's happened in my 20s. I got married, 
I had a boatload of kids, right? <laughs> Built a house, uh, came here, started preaching. A lot's happened in my 20s. But, but as, I, as I think about my own walk and, and, and following Jesus, this was tough for me. Like I felt like I was the defender of the faith, right? Like I had to give the right words. And I was upset that if I was losing an argument, then truth was being tainted in some way. But that's not true. Jesus was, and he is, and he is to come, regardless of how well we defend it, regardless of who believes in it. He is truth, and he'll be truth long after my voice is silenced. So relax. And, and, and so here's, our, here's our, our other strategy. Remember, just be faithful. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. I want to tell you a truth here today that might set a lot of you free. No one has ever been argued into the kingdom of heaven. No one's ever been staunchly against Jesus and then heard an argument and gone, oh, all of my feelings are invalid. I'm in, right? That's never happened. You don't end up in heaven and someone say, how'd you get here? I don't know. He just argued me to death, right? Like I was just, it just happened. I just couldn't argue with the logic, right? No, it doesn't happen that way because salvation isn't something we do. It's a complete God thing. Check this out. John 3, this is what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. What's Jesus saying? To enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born of the Spirit. I can't do that. I can't birth a human, right? I'm a dude. How, much, how am I supposed to be able to birth spirit? I can't do that, right? It's complete God thing. Salvation's a God work. Just be faithful. Remember that he's letting you participate in his work of redeeming people. Just be faithful. Just say what he gives you to say. Just defend the hope that you have in you and let him do the work. It's his work. Just be faithful. Thirdly, nurturing new believers. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So we're called to nurture new believers very gently, very lovingly. Why is this difficult? Two reasons. One, we don't want to disciple. Like, like we aren't gentle because we, we don't disciple. You can't be gentle at something you don't do, Right? We, we let out those who are behind us in the faith just figure it out. And that's not gentle. Why? Because we let them fall into areas of, of foolishness that we fell into, that God gave us wisdom that could guide them to protect them and keep them out of it. We make them figure it out. Is that gentle? Like, think about with your kids. Is that gentle? Would it be gentle of me to say to my kids, like, hey, look, here's an oven. Figure it out. It might be dangerous. I don't know, right? Like, hey, look, kids, here's a, uh, here's a BB gun. Good luck, right? Is that gentle? No, that's not gentle. And we do the same thing when we don't lead those who are behind us in the faith. And, and also, we're not gentle because we expect them to be mature, right? Like we look at them and they look mature. They might look like adults, but in their faith, they're infants. And we expect them to be adults, right? How harsh is that? That's not gentle. The other day was the fireworks. My son was all about the fireworks until they got too loud. And then he was terrified of them. Would it be gentle of me to be like, grow up, you kid, you dumb kid, right? You toddler, what are you doing? It's just sound. Ah, it's a loud noise. Get over it. It's not gentle, it's harsh. Why? He's a kid. He doesn't know. He doesn't know that sound isn't scary, that that sound isn't going to hurt him. He has no idea. He's a kid. So sometimes our expectations are off. We expect them to be in a mature place. We want them to be mature, and we expect them not to be immature. And That's too much to expect sometimes. 
So what's our strategy? One, if you aren't discipling someone right now, change that. Change that. Look at 1 Thessalonians. I want to show you what you're missing out on. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. That's what he says. That these people, the people that Paul has invested his life in, that's his crown and his glory as he stands before Jesus. Here's what that means. Some of you in this room, unfortunately, if you do not change this, if you don't start uh, uh, investing your life very seriously into those who are behind you in the faith, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna stand before the Lord Jesus and you're gonna bring him nothing. What is gonna be your crown? What's gonna be your joy? What's gonna be your glory before Christ? Nothing. You'll be there, sure, but with what? I wanna give him everything he's given me. And that means I have to invest in those behind me. The second thing, be understanding. Celebrate the growth and forgive the immaturity. Remember that, that this growth, it's a long, long process. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So remember, as you're investing in those, in those people behind you in the faith, to celebrate every milestone and quickly forgive their immaturity. The fourth and final instance where we're to show gentleness. Show consideration to all. Look at Titus 3, 1 through 2. Remember them, uh, excuse me, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. What's the difficulty in that? Why is it difficult to be courteous towards all people? I think the answer is pretty easy. Uh, people can be jerks, right? Like, that's pretty simple. I have to be careful saying that the other day. Um, Max turned to Angela and said, um, mommy, come on, don't be a jerk. And I was like, oh man, you're gonna die. Like it was, oh, I don't wanna be here anymore, right? It was crazy. But people can be difficult, right? And certainly, I think another difficulty, certainly um, culturally, there are situations where we're supposed to be served, right? Like, like when I go to a restaurant, it's all about me. Like when I go to a hotel and I pay to stay there, like it's all about my comfort. It's all about what I want. When I fly on the airplane, it's all about me, right? You can press a little button and a person will appear next to you and ask you if you want peanuts. That is the height of luxury, right? Like that's pretty phenomenal. It's all about me. So what's the strategy? What's the strategy? Pretty simple. Remember that in every situation, good or bad, no matter how they're treating you, good or bad, you're always the servant. You are always the servant. 1 Corinthians 9.19 says this, for though I'm free from all, that's us, nobody in here is a slave, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul says, look, what matters most is not what I want. It matters about them knowing the Lord Jesus. And if that means I have to be a servant, then guess what? I'm a servant, no matter who it is. And all we're doing is reflecting Jesus. Mark 10.45, son of man came to serve, not to be served. So if you're at a restaurant, your waitress isn't there to serve you. Guess what? You're there to serve her. God led you to that restaurant to serve her. And then, isn't that weird? And then that kind of flipped the script on the way we think. But that's exactly what we're called to do, is to be gentle and considerate of all people. Why? Because we're always a servant. When you're at work, you say, I'm the boss. You're the servant. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're the servant. When you're at home, guess what? You're the servant. I want to pause real quick. Just, can I have a quick aside before we close? I just know, I realize I said something incredibly difficult. We are the servant at home. There's something about family that's like, there's an X factor there, right? 
You can talk about a conflict with somebody, like, oh, she said this, he said this. Well, why'd they say that? Why'd they say that to each other? That just, that's ridiculous. Like, oh, they're family. Oh, I get it, right? Okay, they're family, right? There's something difficult. There's a whole other layer there because we're less patient with those people because we expect more of them. They know me better. So they, they know I don't like that. They know they should treat me differently. And, and there's, a, there's a, a level of vulnerability there that can put you on edge. And, and so how do we handle our family specifically? How can I be gentle with my family? Pray for wisdom to handle them. Constantly, 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 daily pray for wisdom and pray that God will help you have a servant mentality. He'll give it to you. And lastly, you need accountability. You need someone to help. You need someone to, to ask you regularly, hey, what's been a challenge at home lately? How's that been? How have you served your spouse lately? How have you served your kids lately? How have you served your, your parents, your brother, your sister? How, how have you served your family lately? So um, if you, uh, who, the response song people, you can come on up. I wanna close with this. Gentleness is to be treasured. It's a characteristic of God himself. So if we treasure God, then we will treasure gentleness. And if we treasure gentleness, then we'll practice it in all situations. So my prayer for you is simple, and it's the same prayer I pray for myself. Lord, please mark me with gentleness. And so whatever you need to do, maybe you need to do some things in your life, move some things around, change some behaviors, change some thought patterns to be gentle. But that maybe let that be your question this week. In every situation, am I being gentle? Because if we are to be, uh, if we're followers of God, then we'll be marked with gentleness. Like Philippians 4 said, let your gentleness be evident to all people. And I wanna say this as we close too. Um, some of you in this room, if, you're, if you haven't followed Jesus, the gentleness of God brought you here today. The scriptures are clear that no one's good, not a single person. So Romans 3.10 says, no one is good, no, not one. And that our sin deserves punishment, it deserves death, separation from God forever. And so in God's justice, he could crush us. Seriously, in God's justice, he could just judge you. He could let you just, 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 wall, uh, just, just live in the, in, in the filth of your own decisions and the, and the consequences of your own foolishness. He could, but here's what he did. He brought you here today. I believe God's completely in control, completely sovereign. He brought you here today. And the scriptures say that it's his kindness that leads you to repentance. He's showing you his kindness right now in this moment. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you did yesterday, last night, this morning. I do not care. In God's gentleness and his kindness, he brought you here today. And here's what he's saying. Come follow me. I'm gonna give you a better life. I'm gonna fill you with joy. I'm gonna give you a purpose that you never imagined. Come follow me. You'll be forgiven. That's what the scriptures say. It says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. Are you a whoever? Anybody in here not a Whoever. Everybody's a whoever. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You want a new start? You want to be forgiven? You want to be his child now and forever? You want to know him now? And, and you want to know that when you leave this earth, however it is, whenever it happens, that you'll be with him forever? You can know. You call on the name of the Lord. You ask him to save you. Right now, where you are, you don't say it out loud. Don't be weird. You don't say it out loud. You can say it right now in the, in, the, in the quietness of your own mind and in your heart. Just, just ask him, God, forgive me. I wanna be yours today. Last week, we, we talked about this. And I, was, I was telling you about God's invitation to you to come follow him. And I was saying, look, you might be in church your whole life. This lady walked forward last week and here's what, here, this was her testimony. She had been in church her whole life. Not only that, her brother is, is a minister. 
She knows all about Jesus. She even talked about reading devotionals, like, like reading Billy Graham stuff, right? But then she realized, I don't know God. I've never, I've never really given my life to God. And so guess what? She's a whoever. And guess what? She called on the name of the Lord. And guess what? She's saved. She lived a life around God and around his people and talking about spiritual things, but she didn't take them seriously. She didn't give him her life. And guess what? When she, was, when she gave him her life, what did he do? He accepted. He forgave her. She's his now and forever. That can be you too. That can be you too. Can I pray for us? Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Lord, there are people in this room, um, brothers and sisters of mine, who uh, we, we have certain areas we struggle with gentleness. Lord, mark us with gentleness. And Lord, as we worship now and as we sing now, may we respond to your gentleness. May we worship you for your gentleness and your kindness to us. And may we be faithful to respond however you want us to respond. Maybe there are believers in here who need to, you want us to come forward and pray. Um, maybe you want us to, to, to come and kneel and pray. Maybe you want us to, to go to someone in this room and, um, and, and, and apologize. I have no idea what you want us to do. But Lord, may we be faithful. And Lord, I'm certain there are people in this room who are probably realizing now um, for the first time that it's your kindness that led, him here, led them here today. Lord, may you give them the courage and the boldness to, to start following you, to ask for your forgiveness right now and to be yours now and forever. And also, Lord, give them the courage that as we sing to come down front, to come talk to me and come talk to Brother John so that we can rejoice with them, so that we can show them what's next. Because your scriptures are clear. If, if we're ashamed of you, you'll be ashamed of us. So, Lord, would you give them the courage to to really walk this aisle. Give them the courage to, to really start a new life today. We love you. Thank you for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?